Hello, and welcome to Carried Away. I'm your host, Carrie Murray. As the founder of the Bra Network, the Business Relationship Alliance, I have met some of the most inspiring women working as entrepreneurs, freelancers, founders, executives, and creatives, and I want to share their stories with you. So let's get carried away. Okay, we're talking about my favorite topic. That's right, money, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Today joining me is Mainuti Rajput. She is the founder and senior wealth advisor. She founded her company, Secure Planning Strategies, three decades ago, all to empower women when it comes to all things financial. I know, we need to talk about it, ladies, and she is just the woman who's going to give us the best advice on all things wealth management. So let's get carried away. Hello, welcome to another episode of uh, Get Carried Away. I am your host, Carrie Murray, and I have a very, very special guest because we are going to be talking about five important financial matters every woman should know. This woman is fantastic. She's an immigrant, first generation. She's talking about finance in a time and an era that no other women really were. So she was very, very much knee deep in men and probably a lot of white men. So um, she has challenged stereotypes and just is a game changer and what I like to call a disruptor. So please let me welcome my guest. Please introduce yourself. I'm so excited. Thank you, Carrie. I am Minoti Rajput, and I'm based in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. And uh, as you said, I am a wealth advisor, a financial planner, and I started working soon after I first migrated to the United States a little over 40 years ago. And um, it's not an easy area to jump into, naturally, because uh, even then, there were very few women in the industry in personal finance. So I'm very excited to be here and share why I do what I do and why I'm so passionate about sharing my information. I'm so excited. Um, First, I have to know, when you were a little girl, is this where you thought you would be? Today, I mean, what did you want to be when you grew up? What was your like, where, what was your dream job? Was it finance? <laughs> well, I don't think that I ever dreamt of a job growing up until I was, um, I would say when it became a choice of what I was going to major in, because growing up in India, if you're a good student, there were only a limited few paths. You're a doctor or an engineer, or maybe you're a chartered accountant. And so, uh, and I come from a family of uh, doctors in medicine. So it was expected. My grandfather was a doctor. My older sister is a physician. My father was a head of a pharmaceutical company. And I said, I don't want to be a doctor. So that was kind of, wait a minute, you don't want to be a doctor? How can that be? So um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. My major was in organic chemistry. And then I said, you know, I want to do something different that doesn't deal with bones and blood. And because when you are in medicine, your life kind of stops and you have very limited time and opportunity to pursue other things that may of interest to you. And I had a lot of different interests. But as I went then switched to my MBA in finance, it became more and more clear to me as to what I wanted to do, which not too many women were doing even in India. Right. So um, I started with a banking profession, and then the rest, of course, I'll share as we go along. Amazing, amazing. And when did you immigrate to the United States? And where did you go? To Detroit? 
Yes, my husband came here as a student, and then uh, he went back after he finished his education and thought that he would settle down there. That's when we met again after we were in college together, but we didn't. We hardly knew each other. Yeah, you have to understand, India is a very largely populated country, so our colleges are also populated. Each class had 125 students. He was one of the top students, and so I kind of knew of him, but we did not know each other. So when he went back there, that's when we met. I was already uh, working, had a very good job. And then he asked me out. We met several times and then we decided to get married. But um, so I came here in 79, December, almost 1980. And I went into the financial planning profession here within six months. Wow. Wow. So that, oh, this is the, this is the bravest thing I've ever heard. So you're going into financial planning, you go into that first interview, were you the only woman in the room and were you the only person of color in the room? Uh, I, I think yes and no both. So um, when I first came here, before that, my six years of banking experience um, was when the bank lent money to the small business owners. I was doing the budget, the financial models, the profit and loss analysis for those businesses, a sort of a, a glorified way of saying financial planning for the for those businesses so that they have the ability to repay the loans to the bank. When I came here, that wasn't happening in the banking industry. There were no financial advisors who were really working in the bank. It was just being done by analysts. And they say, if you want to be a financial planner, you have to be a life insurance agent or you have to be a stockbroker. And none of them sat right with me here. I was an MBA in finance, six years banking experience. Why would I do that? Right. But after a little bit of research, I found out that I had no choice, but I chose reluctantly to do the life insurance industry. That was a smart decision for me, despite the stigma associated in the sense that it's something that you sell and people don't buy it, right? Right. So that was about life insurance. But that's where I learned the most about business and estate planning. And that intrigued me and the rest followed. So yes, when I was being interviewed, I was the only woman and only woman of color. In fact, they hired me in addition to having the qualification. They knew that I hadn't sold anything in my life, but they thought that I would do well in the ethnic community of Indian background. Mm. And it did not turn out that way at all. Right. So, yes, I was the minority all the way. Wow. Wow. And how long were you there before you were like, I got to do something else? There's something else bigger out there. Well, I found out within the first year that I had the ability to sell, but I did it only through education. Ah. And that became my my arm. And um, I was able to educate people, convince them through analysis, through speaking in plain English, and tell them what their problem was and make it real and found them the solution And then that's how I was able to sell it. And people who were hired along with me, they would see 10 people and maybe not sell one insurance policy. Mm. And I would see five people and I would close three of them. And I did not have a clientele. The only person I knew was my husband. I did not know how to drive in this country. And I was learning to dress properly for the business world here because in India, 
when I went to work every day, I wore saris. Ah, okay. And I enjoyed mm-hmm. wearing them. So mm-hmm. I realized that I did have some counseling ability. So I had to build, I had to build on that. But within uh, three years, I had my securities license. And then another two years, I had my certification in financial planning. So my MBA in India didn't matter. It made me a better student in understanding and learning what I had to about financial planning. But I had to get a designation from here. And the rest, of course, was history. Right. And I really did cold calling and walked through industrial parks and knocked on businesses to see if they would give me an opportunity to work with them. That's how I built my practice. Wow. Wow. And then when did you go out on your own and decide, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? Here we go. (laughs) I worked for an insurance company. Although I was not an employee, you know, I was just an insurance person towards financial planning until I became a CFP. But then after being in the business 10 years, I had grown a decent practice working with young couples, physicians, attorneys, small business owners, I felt that I needed to add another component and that I needed to really be on my own, but I wanted to separate myself from what other people call themselves as financial planner. But also that's where I, that's when I also added a subspecialty within my practice. And uh, I was thinking about what should I do? Should I, but women were always on my mind, but I said, should I work with women who were suddenly single? like divorce or suddenly they had become a widow and they needed a lot of handholding and education. And I was debating that. And then all of a sudden what happened was in 1989, almost 10 years after I had been doing regular financial comprehensive planning, I met three different families, um, one each month, January, February, March of 1989. And they came for regular planning, retirement planning, investment planning, But during fact-finding, I found out that each one of them had an adult child with disability. And none of them could answer my question, what would happen to their child when they passed away? Who was going to look after the child? Where was the child going to live? What was going to be the, uh, how was it all going to work out? And when they say they did not, that's when I had my aha moment, that this is what I want to do. Always on the back of my mind was the fact that my older sister who lived in England is a physician, but her firstborn uh, had a diagnosis of autism. Mm -hmm. And at that time, um, this is in 1977, my sister had no clue what autism meant. And so that was always something that I thought about what's going to happen. And these two things came together. And I said, this is what what I want to specialize in. That's when, when I went cold turkey on my own started my company, and kept a general practice while I I built on the special needs practice. And I became the first advisor in the state of Michigan to start that subspecialty of comprehensive special needs planning in addition. Because in special needs planning, you still have all of the factors to take care of for a family. You have to do their retirement planning, investment planning, risk management, estate planning, but this is an added component that you really have to know it very well to be able to do that. Absolutely. And then you wrote a book about it. I was on your website and I was like, she's an author. (laughs) Yes, I did. So uh, it's now been 30 years since I've been doing special needs planning. 
And I have counseled over 1,800 families nationwide, spoken all over the country on the topic. And I kept on thinking that I need to document some of these things. I would like to leave a legacy behind. So I published a book and I wrote about several families. These are real life stories about families that I have worked with about the families trials, tribulations, and raising a child with special needs, and also their triumph. And each story um, is a different from the other one in terms of, of the disability, the family backgrounds, um, and their challenges, the illnesses. And it also is dedicated to several people who have given their life for the special needs population. Uh, example, a physician whose practice is all around special needs children, uh, a person who started a farm for a special need uh, children. So those are additional things that I have done. It also has a chapter about nuts and bolts of special needs planning. It's very close to my heart, and I'm awfully glad that I have done that. Yeah, it's really impressive. Um, and can we f- still find it? Can we find it on Amazon? It's Yes, it's Amazon, okay. and it's called Beyond Appearance Love. I love that. And I'll put it in the show notes so everyone listening can get their copy. I have a lot of friends who are in the same situation. They either have babies or toddlers or school-age children that have a special need, but they're also like, how do I prepare for when something happens to me? So this is valuable, valuable information. Um, Now we make the switch to women and you have advice on, you know, five important financial matters that every woman should know. Now, before we go into the five, do you feel like when you started to now, that, you know, traditionally women, you know, they weren't, I mean, we couldn't get credit cards without our father or husband signing until when the seventies, we couldn't buy our own homes until, you know, much, much later than men. Do you, do you feel a switch is happening? Do you feel like women are getting more in charge of their finances and investing and seeing themselves as someone who can take control and own the idea of money? Yes. And no. So I want to go back a little bit with my background. When I was 19 years old, my sister, older sister had just gotten married. And right around that time, my family experienced a major financial hardship. It was also the beginning of my father getting early dementia. And all of a sudden, from being very comfortable, we had major crisis and we were really struggling financially. And all of a sudden, we found out that my my younger sister and I suddenly had to be very involved in some of the struggles that we were experiencing. My mother, who was educated and smart, but she had never been involved in making Mm -hmm. any of those financial decisions. It was my father's role. He took charge of all of that. And then all of a sudden, she did not know how to fit in those shoes and, and take this responsibility. And that experience left deep wounds in my hearts and brains and my sister as well. And, and I made a decision at that time. This is never going to happen to me when I grow up. And I will always make sure that women I come across, I'll make sure that they are educated enough that they feel financially empowered. Fast forward, when I came here and started to do financial planning for young couples, married couples, and women, it was no different. Women were not involved 
and financial decision-making process, they took a backseat. And then sometimes many of them worked, they were professionals, but they chose to have a passive role instead of active because it was easy for them to do the other chores, running the household, managing their career and take a better, take more responsibility of the children. So now fast forward over the years, the pattern has changed somewhat because today's millennials, Generation X, they have been through 2008 and 9. Yeah. And also many of them have seen what the parents have gone through from 2000, 2001 and 2002, those, those market things. So they are a little bit more aware of things, but that doesn't mean that they are saying to their partners or if they're single, they're saying, I need to know this better. Last few years, as I have gotten prepared to do my succession planning and say, at some point, I'm not going to run the business. I knew that I wasn't going to retire, but I wanted to know what else I'm passionate about that I can use my life experience and my career experiences and which part, which is going to be the population in addition to the special need that I feel very strongly about that I want to educate them and make sure that they take charge, but through proper education. Because today I see that women, some of them are taking interest and some of them are learning partly because also internet has made it a lot more Mm. information available yeah but technology that doesn't mean that just because the information is out there people are reaching out so I have been very disappointed even in some of my clients daughter situations or daughter-in-law situation I've dealt with a father passing away Again, mother is not involved. So the daughter comes along with her sister. They are overwhelmed. And one of them is a physician. One of them is an attorney. They say, yeah, we we pay for a 401k. We contribute that. We know we have group benefits, but we really don't know how it all works. Now, I can't say that everybody is like that. There are a few people who do that, but I don't see too many women still uh, say that I can, re- I really know that if, if I lose my spouse or if I'm suddenly single, I know exactly what's going to happen and how I can take charge. So I decided that I was going to now enter the social media or find out women's group because that's where these women are, are focusing on or concentrating on. And I want to see if I have an opportunity to educate these women and if necessary, hold their hands if they want me to, but at least give them some tools as to how to check whether they are okay or not. So that's how my journey has begun. So I'm still in the same same roadmap here, but I'm just now um, identifying a certain segment which has really kind of concerned me as a woman that, listen, some things will not work out if you don't pay more attention to this. So I want to tell them which area they need to pay attention to. That's incredible. And uh, what do you think women ignore the most? Is it retirement, taxes, savings? What do you think that they don't, they put blinders on? Which area and money management and finance? Well, you know, what's, what's, what's interesting, when I first started to work in financial planning, I used to work with young couple. And in the last 15 years, I have taught retirement classes at various universities locally. 
And so now I'm meeting with uh, 60 years plus or people who have already retired. And one of the first exercise I asked them if they have done it or not, which is working on their cash flow. Ah. 90% of people never sit down and really do income expense calculation. So my first lesson is, this is in addition to the five things, the first and foremost thing is, what is budget? It's not planning. Budget has a negative connotation. It's expense planning. But knowing what your income is and knowing what the expenses are. So I always tell that cash flow, telling your money where to go instead of asking where it went is the fundamental of financial plan. And that's where I find a lot of people don't pay attention. So uh, since I have started this, this my so-called project, through the grapevine, my daughters have talked about their friends and existing clients have, and I'm getting, you know, women talking to me and say, can we work with you? Can you take a look at our situation? And I meet very interesting people, their situation. So I remember this young woman who is about, she's getting a little worried because she is 39 years old, single, is is, um, a contractor in in the tech industry, makes very good money. Her her income is about $180,000. This year, she's going to do even better but she's concerned that she hasn't had much saving opportunities. Mm. And I said, well, opportunities are created. What have you not done? She said, well, I said, how do you spend your money? Well, I live in California, so I don't want to buy a property because it requires a lot of money to buy a property. But I love traveling and I have enjoyed buying expensive purses, handbags and shoes. Those are my fascinations. Okay. So I said, okay, well, you know what? Look, it's not too late because you could be living up to 90. So you just have to accept that you may have to work beyond 70, okay? So, but the most important thing is having that discipline. And I asked her to do a cash flow. She had no idea where to begin, okay? So, uh, and I said, so I literally had to handhold her and, and walk her through. And I say to the younger people, look, there are tools whether you get an app called Mint or Mm. any other name that you call or use the traditional methods. When I first started, the mother said, can I just put money in envelopes or jars for my groceries and things like that? I said, it doesn't matter what method you use. The most important thing is I get $100,000 in salary. I put $15,000 in 401k. I pay $15,000 in taxes. I'm left with $70,000. I need to come up with expenses that are matching with 70,000. It can be 68, it can be 67,000, whatever. But if you're not able to do that, who is going to tell you whether you need to save more or not? And so that's the first thing that everybody has to do is how to work on a cash flow. I find entrepreneurs, business owners, because they don't use the same thing in their companies, profits, and business, all of that is the same thing. If you don't know how much profits you should be making in a business, why is it that your gross revenue is a million dollars, your expenses are $600,000, and you're not taking home enough money? What's wrong with the equation? So one has to have a little bit of training to be able to view these numbers to see what changes you have to make 
in order to remain profitable and pay yourself better, save a little bit, have discretion, that doesn't mean you have to stop living. You still want to enjoy life because today is the most important day for you. Yeah, absolutely. I love all of this. This is so exciting. Um, so what, what matters most to women, you think, when it comes to financing? I think when it comes to financing is they want to feel financially secure that they are going to be okay, that they will have enough money for the rainy day, whether the rainy day is five years from now because they want to buy a bigger home because the kids are getting older, they cannot share the same room. Or a pandemic. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, whether for, for them it's important for the kids to go to college, we want to have that. But also they want to make sure that, you know, some people love their job and a lot of people don't. So if I want to make a career change and if I have to take less income for a while, will I have a nest egg that allows me to have more mental peace and less stress? The problem is people don't talk properly about money, even in their household. There are more fights and stress about money in many, many families And that just turns off people from wanting to approach that. And they just live and don't address the problems, basically. So, yes, women do want to have uh, and achieve financial security. Someday they want to retire. And if they're going to live long enough, they want to maintain the same standard of living they are currently living on. Or if they're not, they want to do better than what they're doing today. Yeah. Yeah, I know. My mom always said when she was getting ready to retire that your last 10 years of work should be your highest earning years. Yes. Because you're just socking money away and socking money away, um, which has always stuck with me. Um, I was fortunate enough to have parents who very much involved me in financing and and everything, banking, uh, how to pay taxes because they knew I wasn't going to get it in school. Yes. I was taught to sew, but I wasn't taught how to pay my taxes. But your parents are exceptional because I would urge, but even the parents don't talk about money in front of the children necessarily. And I think that, you know, just recently my, my daughter sent me a link to an NPR, um, something about that it's healthy to talk about some of the money matters in front of the children when they're of the right age so that they know that things are not just done for them. Parents are working hard to make it possible for the children to achieve their life goals as well. And also, it doesn't hurt for the parents to talk about what their plans are, because at some point, they are going to be connected in some way with their parents' finances, uh, not necessarily to do to support the parents, but the parents will have their estate planning and all of those things. So openly discussing this is just very healthy. Yes, I agree. What would you, what advice would you give to a brand new entrepreneur? She's a creative, you know, so she's not typically in the looking at numbers and cents. Um, what, what do you think should, she should definitely have in her, you know, bag of tricks or in her, you know, super spy belt to be successful? Well, first of all, it goes back to she needs to know how much money she needs to live on. And if she is a new entrepreneur, she must have done something before. Maybe she left a corporate job. Maybe she has a retirement plan of some sort. She needs to know that as a new entrepreneur, she's not going to necessarily have success from day one. 
So yeah. does she have em- enough emergency funds to fall back on until she gets back on her feet? Importance of having an entity. So what kind of an entrepreneur are you? Are you an individual self-employed 1099 person and uh, or are you an LLC or are you a C corporation or an S corporation? And if you're an LLC, that means in a corporation, you're a stockholder, right? In an LLC, you are a member. But are you a member as Carrie Murray or what else could it be? So to give you a sad example, last week, a friend of mine lost her daughter in an accident. She was 44 years old. And then, of course, there's grieving. But the next two days later, she calls me and she said, you know, my daughter was an attorney, but she was also, she had a side business that was very flourishing. And I said, well, in that case, what is the name of the entity? She said, it's an LLC. I said, yes, but LLC as what? Say under her name. I said, then you have a problem. Why isn't it in her trust name? Because whenever the member is an individual, it's going to have to go through probate. So to know certain aspects, that entity, how should it be? You're creating an entity for liability purposes, always also to give a structure and tax identification and things like that. And then determine what is the process? How is the revenue coming? Is it from, if you're a coach, if you're an entrepreneur, are you getting revenue from your consulting? But how are you getting your clients? What's the marketing strategy? How much does the marketing cost? And who is going to be running your books and things like that? So to determine income sources, the process of getting the income, what are the expenses and what can you expect and what the forecast is going to be. And then once you have completed one year, you need to take a look at and see what lessons have you learned from that. So if at all your revenue is not as high, okay, because it's new, people don't know your name or your product, what else can you do? So what's marketing? In MBA courses, you will learn that marketing is taking a product and going through the process of putting it in the hands of a consumer, right? What do you have to do to get that? Well, if you are a person who is in the counseling business, coaching business, then the marketing is how do you get your name? Are you on a network? Are you letting people know what's the membership of that network? So there are different ways to look at things like this. And then you have to find out what is your income and what is your expense? And what should you be targeting in your business? How much does an average person who is successful normally makes? Is it a six-figure income or is it not a six-figure income? Are you happy? Because with achieving success, also it has to be, am I at peace? Am I enjoying? And I have accepted the fact that this is not going to be a very high-grossing number, but it's enough for me to sustain myself. Either I have a partner in life who makes a lot of money that allows me to do it the way I do, or no, I really need to do a lot more, but I have analyzed or had it analyzed that these are the reasons why I'm not reaching it the most. So now what do I have to do? Identify the problems and find a solution and put them together. Love that. So true. Every entrepreneur should be solving a problem if they want to sell anything. Right. Profitable your problem first before you solve others. Yes. Oh, yes. So, so great. Um, so what, where does your passion lie? Who, who's your ideal client? Who, who do you like love seeing walk through your office door and say, yes, I can help this woman, this entity, this business, this family. Who, who is that? Well, so 
I am, I love challenges of solving complex problems. Um, you know, I have worked for so long in uh, special needs families with a lot. Some people have a lot of wealth and they have complex estate planning. The more complex it is, I like to solve the problem. It's almost like, you know, the whole yarn, how it gets tangled and, yeah. you know, how you want to sit back and just uh, clean yeah. it all up and wrap it. I love those kind of challenges. I'm at a different phase in my life. I sold my company to my two partners and I'm an advisor and a consultant for a while, for a long time now. But I've started this project of working with women. And so anytime I'm speaking on a network or a platform about what my passion is, and I'm presenting my presentations on five important things that every woman should know, it's going to give them an opportunity to sign up for a consultation. And if they think that they haven't done anything, it's a diagnosis. Then I'm willing to give that because it's a, a third chapter in my life that I want to help a certain segment of the population. Some people who have done their work, they may need a second opinion. And so that's what I would like to do. But who excites me is the more complex cases. You know, somebody doesn't really matter. It could be a a 68-year-old person who after 40 years of marriage is suddenly getting divorced and doesn't know where to begin, okay? And uh, have the adult children, but they are not involved in the life or somebody who is a successful entrepreneur in her own mind, but the finances are a total mess, okay? And she's paying high taxes. She doesn't know. And it's a matter of coordinating with the CPA, the attorney and all of them and say, who is the quarterback here? Is the client the quarterback or is it the CPA the quarterback? Because she's dealing with different people, but nobody is putting things together for her and she doesn't know who to go to. Those are the kind of people I like to solve the problems for. <laughs> I love that, Renuti. I love that. That's so exciting. Now, do you typically, so since you're taking up, you know, you're an advisor, consultant for your firm, you're going to let it, somebody else can manage the day-to-day stuff like that. Yes. What's something that, once a client has worked with you, when do you have that, again, that excitement, that aha, when they have that aha moment, or is this like, I got it, we figured out this puzzle, and I'm going to send them on their way? So when we, uh, so my job is to meet a client, identify the problems that I recognize and they haven't seen it yet, make it real. And then suddenly they say, aha, I know this is the problem and this is what I need to get to. So then they say back, you know, maybe I can attempt to solve some of this, but I may need some help. Maybe I need to work with more with my uh, CPA and work with him, not just on the tax day, but also on an ongoing basis. Or maybe I have to have my, my wealth advisor, my retirement specialist work with my CPA to help me out. It's almost like, you know, my internist, my family, my, my personal physician says, you know, you have a problem if you're running straight to a cardiologist or a gastroenterologist without really checking with your internist. You have to know who is the quarterback, basically. Yeah. So, yes, the aha moment comes from education. You know, years ago, we had a clothing store here in, in Southfield, Michigan, and their, their logo was an educated consumer is our best consumer. I like to work with people who tell us, this is what I know. This is what I don't know, but I want to know. And we, I think that women, 
uh, sometimes have the tendency, you do it for me. No, because I want women to really say, look, I'm not going to become an expert. I'm not asking you to be a stock picker. But at any given time, I want you to be able to tell me if something happens, you cannot work for the next year or so, whether it's because of the pandemic and your clients have dried down, they cannot come to you or you've lost your partner, are you going to be able to manage? And you have the right people working with you who can work with you because you have worked with them all along. And they will tell you, yes, if this happens, X number of dollars can come to your banking account automatically, and you'll be able to pay your bills and life will be almost normal. If you can get to that education level, then you are a winner. So I can tell you what are the five important things that I tell people. Yeah. In addition to doing your cash flow, that translates to a net worth statement. Every entrepreneur, business owner runs a balance sheet for the business. This is my asset. This is my liabilities. This is what at the bottom. Every family should have a network. This is what my partner owns. This is what I own. This is what we owe together. So whether it's the real estate, whether it's your non-retirement assets, And this is your retirement assets and life insurance added up all. But you add it up and subtract your liability. This is what you're going to have for your estate if you die together. Subtract the life insurance from that. That's what you have today. Subtract your home from that or any other real estate. That's your liquid asset. The liquid net worth is what you want to count on and let it grow each year. And each year it will grow if you add to it or if you invested it correctly, right? The years that it doesn't grow is because the market is down or you did not add or you had major expenses. But if you continue to see it's not doing well, then there are reasons. You go back to the diagnostics as to why this is happening, okay? Mm-hmm. So once you have done the cash flow and, and network as a start, risk management is the most important platform for you to build on. If you all get insurance, insurance is by paying premium to an insurance company to basically pay us when we have a loss, whether it's an automobile, whether your homeowner's insurance or liability. We are talking about life insurance and disability and long-term care. Every woman, so here's another example. A young man joined his father to my office because the father was about to retire with his wife, he says, can my son join us? He's very smart and he has, uh, he's a startup company and he's doing well. And I know his, his wife is a uh, teacher and they have a two-year-old child. And so, so when we were done, I asked him, so it looks like you're doing very well. Have you taken care of your legal documents? Do you have your risk management strategy? So what do you mean? I said, do you have enough life insurance and disability? He says, no. I'm doing well in my business, but I don't have life insurance and disability. In my mind, I was upset with him for not doing that. But you know who I was more upset with? Oh, His wife. Ah. Why? Because why haven't you taken as a responsibility to yourself that, God, you know, if something happens to me, I can't even afford to live in this house. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about my child's education and so on? I want the women to focus on calculating and being able to, because when a spouse passes away or a partner passes away, the expenses don't get cut in half. 
And the wife needs to be not to be told whether you can live in this house or not. It's a joint decision. Look, I want to continue to maintain my lifestyle. I don't want to go from a three-bedroom house to just a two-bedroom apartment or something like that. This is a conversation, whether you do it yourself or together with your advisor. Disability. We take it for granted that the greatest asset we have is our ability to earn a living. For many entrepreneurs, they don't ensure that. And when we talk to our physicians and attorneys or self-employed people, we feel that disability gets covered first before life insurance because once you're dealt once you are, have died, you're not here to worry about it, right? Right. But if you have disability, you have all the expenses, no income. It's like living death. So risk management and, and for older people. And if, if the women that I'm talking to, they are younger and they're not worrying about being sick and being in the nursing home, they still need to know about it it's because they need to think about their parents. Have they done their enough planning? Because all of a sudden the children are pulled in to make some decisions for their parents. So they need to know about that. Then comes tax matters. That's the second one that that you have to focus on, which is what is tax deductible? What is capital gains taxes? What is uh, long-term capital gains? What is short-term capital gains? Those are income tax matters. You know, today we are about to have another major change in both income tax as well as estate tax. So you have to know the fundamentals of income tax and also estate taxes. Income tax is what you pay today, sharing it with the government, a portion of your income. Estate taxes is levied on your option or desire to leave asset for the next generation. Now, today, you have to be wealthy enough, husband and wife having $22 million before you pay estate taxes. But that could change to coming down to $12 million in 2025, or it could be as low as $7 million. And remember, that includes your life insurance and expensive yeah. East Coast and West Coast homes and everything. So you have to know about that. So I always say, don't, you need to sit down with a tax preparer, prepare, person who prepares that, but don't ask for an appointment just when it's the tax season. Yeah. After you're done, sit down with him and pay the fee that he deserves to do. So that's the tax matters. Then comes investment and retirement planning. Mm-hmm. So, People of the younger generation are not focused on retirement planning, but they need to think about what is a tax deductible item. I have met people because they're so afraid of the market. They're not even putting money in 401k enough what they can, even though their budget allows. And even in a 401k, the money is sitting in money marketing. Mm. So you have to know as a self-employed person, if you have a high revenue, have you looked at DB cash balance plan? or a single 401k plan, where can you put the most on a tax deductible basis and take care of them? And in in investment, it's not always about the rate of return. It's looking at what is a balanced portfolio and what is asset allocation, what is management style diversification and an equal division. So when I meet people who like real estate, they will have so much of real estate that they don't have enough liquidation. So there are some fundamentals. What is liquid? What is not liquid? A liquid investment is anything that can be cashed within three to five working days. Even if you want your real estate, you may not be able to sell it that fast. Now today, yes, people are selling their homes in three days. Okay, That's exceptional time. But you also remember what happened in 2008 and 2009, those days. So having looked at it and people, sometimes I'm meeting young people, they want to work with robo-advisors. Again, that's fine. 
but you have to always know who is your quarterback. I just uh, uh, did a consultation with somebody out of New York uh, from another young couple who just found out about me and did that. And they want to know whether they can afford a $2.3 million home in New York because they're desperate to move to a three-bedroom place. And um, because they have two children, they cannot have them live all the time in this two-bedroom place, townhouse that they're living in. So they were concerned about how to run the cash flow and things like that. And investment, he's just shooting, you know, darts and buying stocks that he knows of. There's no guidance. And in a panic mm. in pandemic last March, he cashed on everything and paid ah. taxes. So behavioral, behavior is very important to monitor and investment planning also. So now we have covered risk, cash flow, net worth, risk management, uh, tax matters, investment, retirement plan, and estate planning. So estate planning and business planning, I take separately for entrepreneurs because it's kind of has to be coordinated with everything else. But estate planning, having the right documents is so critical. So um, again, uh, it's not a matter of just a simple will because I spoke with uh, my staff yesterday. I was giving example of my friend whose daughter died unexpectedly. And I said, I want to make sure that you all have your legal documents. So this young man advisor who works in our office he has a little baby. And I said, you have your legal documents. He said, yeah, I have my will. I said, wait a minute, you have your will. What is the biggest asset you have? He says, my life insurance. I said, that's what young people will have. But what happens, God forbid, that both of you have a common disaster? God forbid. I said, right. then the will is going to go through probate and somebody is going to be appointed a conservator for your child. The child will have the money when he attains legal uh, majority at the age of 18. The child, it's his money. You have to have a living trust in order to make sure that you do that. And powers of attorney for finance and for, for right. health management. So those are the basic documents. But then people who have larger estates, they have different issues. And people who are entrepreneurs, they have other issues. People who are business owners at any given time, entity is important, but also Are you working with somebody in your business? Do you have the key person coverage? Do you have the buy-sell agreements? Are they funded buy-sell agreements? Uh, What about, uh, you know, many, many other things? Do you need a deferred compensation plan in your office? Do you need a continuity plan in the office and succession plan? A lot of people don't recognize that they are creating a value in their business. So only two ways you can make money out of your business. Either... Every year, you take the profits and stash it away after you've taken money out for your living expenses. And you build your value from your business accordingly, right? But also, there's a possibility that the business that you own has a value of its own. You can sell it. But if you want to sell it, then you have to find out who is going to be the buyer. And you equip your business accordingly to make sure it's always a sellable business. Mm that there is a person who you have, whether it's your key person in your manufacturing business or anybody who is a very competent person, agreement, buy, sell, and making the business ready for you to walk away someday are all the things that a person has to know. Those are the things that one needs to share with these people. That's my message. Ah, that's so, so 
important. Every I'm just like swimming in all of the knowledge you're sharing right now. This is so, so great. I know that when um, the first question you should ask yourself when you're starting a business, somebody gave me this advice is, how is it going to end? Because you're not going to be around forever. Are you going to sell it? Are you going to close? Are you going to, is your children going to acquire it? So anyone who's looking to start a business, you should know how it's going to end because you're, right. you're not going to be around. Absolutely you're right. not going to be around. Yeah. You've been given give good messages all along, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> no, you have. This is really incredible. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much, Manuti. This is so, so much great information here. Um, I do want to wrap up before we go because this we do get carried away about things. I want to know something other than money and finance that you get excited about. What's something that you're passionate about? Is it cooking, dogs? Tell me a couple things that really excite you other than money and finance. So um, um, number one is um, I love counseling people on various matters, okay? whether it's, uh, I'm not a psychologist, but my life experience. So, you know, but the friends are, you know, just picking on, on me as, oh, this happened. What, what should I be doing? So I just like to give friendly advices. But yes, gourmet cooking is my passion. Uh, I'm from India, so a lot of people love Indian food. But now, how do you mix uh, uh, Italian and Indian cooking? Uh, Can I make a risotto with paneer in it? Okay. Mm. Or can I make a cannoli infusing shrikhand in it instead of custard in it and things like that? So I belong to a um, a, um, a chef's club. We have four couples and my friends are all vegetarian, but we meet once a quarter and uh, we try to cook you know, innovative, different things. So cooking is my uh, passion. I love to read. I belong to a um, a book club that once a month I have to read one book. Uh, You know, I'm challenged because there's always so much to read for business that I don't always get a chance. But what what I really um, get carried away, as you say, what I really get carried away is women who are successful, women who speak eloquently, and women who are strong and leave great messages. I just recently read Melinda Gates' book on, um, uh, what's the name? The, the, uh, it's right here. Uh, and it's called The Moment of Lift. Wow. It's very inspiring. Yeah. You know, yeah. how, how can you lift other women? It's always in my heart. And um, I love my grandchildren and spending time. But I'm a huge, huge traveler. I've been through all seven continents and keep going. I love that. What was your favorite? Well, that's a difficult question. It's been <laughs> asked many times, but I normally break it down country-wise. If it's uh, outside India and Asia, I love Bali. Mm. In South America, I love Bariloche in the Patagonia area. South of, uh, in, in Europe, I love Italy. I love Croatia. I love oh, wow. um, uh I love England, you know, so there are many, many uh, places, but I loved Antarctica. It was just ah. spectacular. It was just oh. spectacular, yes. It's, it's definitely a goal of mine to go to Antarctica. I just don't know if I can take the boat ride. <laughs> I'm terrified yeah, of boats. We were fortunate. We only had 15, 17 feet waves and people have had 35. You know? Yeah, so, I've heard it, some crazy stories about that, that trip. Um, well, then the opposite is, is what's something that you know people get carried away about, but you can't really wrap your head around it. You don't quite understand it. I know for me, I cannot stand chocolate um, and people love chocolate, but for some reason, I'm just not a fan of chocolate. I'm more of a salty 
sweet kind of girl. I like caramel, but no chocolate. What about what about you? Um, I don't like horror movies. Mm. You know, uh, it just somehow I find them creepy. I cannot sit in front uh, of a, any kind of screen for two hours where blood is coming out and all of a sudden, uh, you know, a strange character is coming out. Uh, I just get turned off by that. Yeah. And also it's funny. Uh, you don't like chocolates. I don't like to be on the beach and sun. <laughs> you live in California and I grew up in India, but I cannot be out in the sun for more than a few minutes, even in a beach, I'm looking for a shade, you know, yeah. so uh, more power to people who <laughs> want to live in Florida and, and California and walk in the sunny Arizona desert, but that's not me. That's uh, not yeah. Me. Yeah. It's like probably 92 out today. So it's very sunny here today. <laughs> um, wow. Well, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening. So this is definitely one of those episodes we are all going to replay because you gave out so much important, valuable information Really quick, how can we connect with you? How can we follow up with you if anyone listening is just like, I need to work with her? Right. So you can Google me, Minoti Rajput. My name is spelled M-I-N-O-T-I. Last name is R-A-J-P-U-T. There's a ton under my name. Look at my website of my company, spsfinancial.com. And you can email me. Uh, my personal email is minoti.rajput at gmail.com. I'll be happy to answer your question. But women, get on your feet take charge of your finances. And there is no reason why you cannot feel secure and successful. Love it. Great ending. And we're going to have all of this in the show notes. So if you guys missed that, don't worry. You'll see all of her contact information in the show notes and, and a link to that book because I have a lot of friends that need that book. Um, thank you so much for coming. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Bye. <laughs> Hey, thanks for joining me and getting carried away. I'm your host, Carrie Murray, founder of the Bra Network, Bra Business Relationship Alliance. We are a network of female entrepreneurs that lift and support each other. If you're a female entrepreneur looking for community, collaboration, and all kinds of fun, head over to bra-network.com and check out our membership. Hope to see you there.